It's Monday, May 20th, 2019. I'm Herbie Newell, and this is the Defender Podcast, a daily encouragement to mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This daily podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. Well, this is our weekly Monday Bible study and call to prayer. Today, we are continuing our study on the book of Acts, and we will be looking specifically at Acts chapter 18, verse 24, through Acts chapter 19, verse 10. This is what the word of the Lord says, starting in Acts chapter 18, verse 24. Now, a Jew named Apollos, a native from Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things considering Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of the Lord more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ." Verse 1 of chapter 19, and it happened while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to him, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we've, we've not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in one who was to come after him. That's Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on him, them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. They were all about 12 men in all. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some of them became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. We see in verse 23 that Paul has set out on his third missionary journey, going back to encourage the churches. And then we come into verse 24 and we see this man, Apollos. He appears to be a believer, even though he only knew about the baptism of John the Baptist. And this brings us to what I want to see is four things that show us that Apollos was a believer. And there's been some, even some debate. Was Apollos a real believer or was he not? There are four key areas that I believe show us that Apollos had the fruit of the Holy Spirit, that he was a true follower of Christ, even though doctrinally and maybe a bit theologically, he was a bit off base. And I think what this should encourage us today is there will be those that we doctrinally are on minor theological issues we disagree with or have different opinions of, or maybe someone that's less mature in their doctrine or less mature in their theology. But let us not judge the heart of other brothers and sisters because in their immaturity or in their lack of knowledge, they've yet to be discipled, they yet to grow, they yet to grow in wisdom, in doctrine, and theology. And this is not talking about Uh, ultimate doctrines or ultimate theology. And that's what we see here from Apollos. Ultimate from a theological perspective, ultimately from a doctrinal perspective, ultimately from the fruit of the Spirit, he was a follower of Christ and a true follower of Christ. Look at verse 24. It says that he was an eloquent man, 
competent in the scripture. Apollos was competent in the scripture. In other places where we see uh, the Pharisees or the Sadducees or or others who are, are staked in the Old Testament, but they don't know the good news of Christ, it says that they had knowledge of the Old Testament or they had knowledge of the sacred writings. This is saying he was competent. He was teaching. He could handle the scripture. He understood the scripture. But then number two in verse 45, it says he had been instructed in the way of the Lord. Apollos had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And so we know that because of this instruction, Apollos understood and had a, had a basic understanding of the way of the Messiah, the way of the Lord. But then verse three, which, which is probably or number three, which is probably the greatest is verse 25 says he was fervent in the spirit. In Greek, there would be a V inferring that he was indwelled and he was fervent in the Holy Spirit. He knew the Holy Spirit. In Romans 12, 9 through 13, Paul gives a list of the true marks of a believer, and he uses this same term in this list. Here's what he says in Romans 12, 9 through 13. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. And right there in the middle, be not slothful to zeal, be fervent in the Spirit, be fervent in the Holy Spirit. And so we believe, even from looking at this passage, if if Apollos was fervent in the Holy Spirit, then he was walking with Christ. And, and contrast that for what we're going to see here in Acts chapter 19, when the 12 men who were John's apostles, they've never heard of the Holy Spirit. They don't know what uh, Paul is talking about when he refers to the Holy Spirit. It says this about Apollos. He was fervent in the Spirit. But then, number four, we see in verse 25 that he spoke accurately about the things concerning Jesus. Again, we look in Acts chapter 19. These men of John are saying, well, we we know there's one greater to come, but they didn't know that that was Jesus. Apollos knew the one to come was Jesus. But here is, here's the, the really thing that we see in this first part in Acts chapter 18, verses 24 through 28, is we see Aquila and Priscilla. And they recognize a gifted servant of Christ in Apollos. And they don't want to embarrass him, but they need to gently disciple and instruct him so that ultimately Apollos can be turned loose for the sake and the spread and the glory of the gospel. And so they bring Apollos aside in order to disciple him, to correct him, and to teach him. And so I want us to see three things that we see about Christ-like correction. Because as brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to be correcting and discipling and training one another. But there's a way to do it. And I believe that the way that Aquila and Priscilla do this is a Christ-like way. Number one, they don't do this publicly as if to embarrass, right? Verse 26 said they took him aside and they explained the way of God. It wasn't done publicly. We need to be careful as brothers and sisters not to publicly shame other brothers and sisters. And that means on social media, platforms like Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or or another social media. We need to be careful not to shame other brothers and sisters openly in a public forum, at least not until we've gone to them privately and taken them aside, right? We do not need to bring our family business outside of the family home. It does not need to be done publicly as if to embarrass. But then second, it's direct, it's personal, and it's about discipleship. 
They bring him aside and they explain to him the way of God more accurately. It's direct. It's personal. It's discipling him. Again, they weren't talking behind his back. They weren't going to other apostles. They weren't gossiping about Apollos, right? A lot of times we call it Christian gossip. Oh, I'm so worried about so-and-so. I'm so worried about uh, something that they said or, or something that they did. Maybe it's even our pastor says something that we don't know if that lines up to scripture. Are we going and and privately bringing them aside and being direct and personal and discipling one another? Oh, that is what we see about Christ-like correction. But third, the third thing that we see, it's ultimately for building up the body of Christ and the saints. It's not for tearing down the body of Christ, but it's for encouraging and equipping and building up the body of Christ. In verse 27, it sees that Apollos wishes to cross to Achaia. He wants to go now and spread the good news and the glory of Christ Jesus. And what does it say? The brothers encouraged him and they even wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And then in verse 28, he powerfully refutes the Jews in public and he shows by the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. You see, brothers and sisters, when we invest in other brothers and sisters gently, personally, and lovingly, we are unleashing them to take this glorious gospel to the ends of the world. We meet Apollos and now he, and he is boldly preaching the gospel in Ephesus. And we see Aquila and Priscilla discipling him and sending him on. Look at what Paul says about Apollos in 1 Corinthians. First, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not merely being human? What then is Apollos? What then is Paul? Servants to whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted being Paul and Apollos water, but God gave the growth. We see that Apollos becomes an essential part of gospel proclamation to the church at Corinth. Then later in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 12, now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all in the will for him to come. He will come when he has opportunity. We know that Paul would not be vouching for a brother that was not boldly proclaiming the gospel. And then in Titus, Paul asked for Apollos to come to him in order to strengthen the saints. Bottom line we see here is that we must invest the gospel into one another with patient and kind correction, instruction and discipleship. Confront, confrontation and correction can be great when looking out for the interest of the gospel and for the one being confronted. We need to have good confrontation, not bad confrontation. Bad confrontation is about me. It's about my rights. I've been hurt. I've been wronged. Good confrontation is about helping someone else. It's about breathing in life into them, helping them, encouraging them, and ultimately building up the gospel and the glory of God. But that brings us now to, to chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. We see verse 1 that, that Apollos is passed on to Corinth. He's passed on to this Corinthian church. And now Paul comes into Ephesus and preaches the gospel. And we see three people that he preaches the gospel to. First, the 12 disciples of John. But second, the Jews in the synagogue. And third, the residents of Asia. First, we see in the first seven verses of chapter 19 that Paul is preaching the gospel to 12 men, disciples of John, who knew John's baptism, but were not followers of Jesus because they had not been indwelt with the Holy Spirit. You see, they had repented and, and emptied themselves, but they had not filled themselves with Christ. And if we're not careful, beloved, this is the spirit of the age today. This is the spirit that's alive and well in the United States, and it's been brought over from, from South Asian and, and other oriental uh, expressions of faith like Buddhism and, and Hinduism where 
The idea is to empty yourself and have a mindfulness. In the United States right now, there are therapies that are called mindful therapies that, that, that bring about mindfulness and, and, and it's, called, it's all about emptying your mind. Well, even as we see these, these apostles, these followers of John the Baptist, they had repented, they had emptied themselves of their sin and their shame, but they had yet to do the most important thing, which is to fill themselves with Christ. We see the same idea brought about when Paul writes to the church of Ephesus in Ephesians 3, verses 16 through 19, when he says that according to the riches of God's glory, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend all that the saints say, the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be what? Filled with all the fullness of God. And then he says again in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 18, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk on wine. Do not empty yourself. Do not just try to pour out your problems by becoming drunk on wine. That's debauchery. But what? Be filled, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, we must be full of the Holy Spirit and we must be consistently filling our hearts, our minds, and our souls with the manifold richness of God through Christ. There is no such thing as emptiness. There is no such thing as mindfulness to bring peace. The only thing that will be bring peace, beloved, is the filling of the Holy Spirit. These 12 men had emptied themselves, but they didn't have the fullness of spirit. They needed to follow Jesus. Huh. We see in Romans chapter 8, verse 9, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ, anyone who is not full of the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So we see that the gospel message is incomplete without Jesus. It's incomplete without the filling of the Holy Spirit, right? And so we see that Paul in Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians thirteen five, he asked the church at Corinth to examine themselves to see if they are in the faith. First John also shows us three tests by which to show if we are true followers of Christ. So here are three things that I believe that we see from First John that we can test our own hearts, that we can test our own lives to make sure that we're not like these men, these, these 12 apostles of John, these 12 disciples of John that, that were following blindly but that we are truly following Jesus. The first is the doctrinal test. It's we believe in Jesus and what he did. This is what John says in 1 John chapter 1, starting in verse 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. First of all, the doctrinal test. Do you believe in Jesus and what he did? Do you believe? But then second is the ethical test. We will walk in the light and in love, right? Are we walking out what we believe? It's not enough just to believe it, but are we walking it out? First John chapter two, verses six through 11. No one who abides in him being Christ keeps on sinning. No one, keeps, no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. 
Huh, little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Oh, beloved, we don't just believe, but we start to walk in the light and the love. And, and, and be not confused, right? It says, makes a practice of sinning. Obviously, as believers on this side of heaven, on this side of glory, we are going to be tempted, we are going to be tried, and we are going to still continue to sin. But what this says is a practice of sinning, a repetition of sinning, someone who is not broken by their sin. If we are broken by our sin and walking in the light and walking in love, then we are practicing what we believe. But third, it's the fruit. It's the experiential test. And what does that mean? We will know the abiding presence of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit will well up in us. John says it this way, 1 John 4, 13, By this we know that we abide in him and he is in us because he has given us his Spirit. Oh, beloved, the gospel message is incomplete without Jesus. So we cannot just tell people to repent and empty themselves. They must follow Jesus by denying themselves, taking up their cross daily and following Christ. So Paul first preaches this gospel to 12 disciples of John, but then Paul comes to the Jews in the synagogue, verse 8, where he preaches for three months before he has any opposition. Paul stays true as he comes into towns. He first goes into synagogues and brings the gospel message to the Jews. He was dedicated to preach, and he was led by the Holy Spirit. And we see that he's there. Most places he goes, it takes weeks, three to four weeks before he's tossed out. He's there for three months the gospel message is taking root. The gospel message is starting to spread. But when he meets opposition, he's led by the Spirit into the hall of Tyrannus. And for two years, he proclaims the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the message, it says in verse 10, spread to all the residents of Asia. And they heard of the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. We see evidence of the spreading gospel in Revelation chapter 1, starting in verse 4 through verse 11. John, the revelator to the seven churches that are in Asia, that are in Asia, right? The seven churches that start off Revelation are the churches of Asia. And John says, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come from the seven spirits who are before the throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and father, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Christ Jesus, was on an island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in spirit of the Lord's day and I heard from behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to seven churches, <laughs> to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia and the Laodicea. You see, beloved, 
Paul preached the gospel in the hall of Tyrannus and the gospel spread to Asia and ultimately the truth of God's second coming, the truth of glory coming back and taking its rightful place in the book of Revelation was written to seven Asian churches. Oh, we never know how the Lord will use our gospel proclamation. We must be faithful to preach the gospel. And oh, beloved, the gospel of the kingdom must be proclaimed to all in spite of opposition. We must continue to preach it, teach it, and disciple it faithfully as long as we have breath. Recently, I received word from the Voice of the Martyrs that there were three dear brothers in India who were arrested for praying. The story of these brothers says that they were typical members in a village church in eastern India. And they hadn't even been openly sharing the gospel in the streets, but had prayed over a friend's wife who had fallen ill. Instead of getting better, the woman ended up dying, and the villagers blamed the three Christians who prayed for her. And so suddenly, these three men were handcuffed and had no idea if they would ever see their families again. One of the men was most worried about the youngest man because he had just been a Christian for a month. And he asked himself, what would time in prison do for this young man's faith? In prison, these three were called by the guards the Hallelujah people, followers of a strange religion. They met every morning for prayer and to encourage each other. And as the months passed, they shared the gospel with fellow prisoners. And up to this date, 13 have come to know of the saving grace of Christ Jesus our Lord. They still face possible life in prison. But the newest believer says that his faith has been strengthened and his resolve determined to preach the gospel no matter the cost. Beloved, may there be nothing that would slow the proclamation of this glorious gospel. And in so being, we're praying this week for the country of Pakistan, a place where the gospel is hard to go, but it must be preached. We're praying that, the God, that God will continue to strengthen local believers and specifically strengthen the faith of persecuted believers. We're praying for relationships between India and Pakistan. They are at a, at a true high. Even when Josh and I were, were flying to India several weeks ago, it took us an extra three hours because there's a no-fly zone in Pakistan right now because of the unrest. Pray for the unrest and the terrorist attacks within the country. Pray for our partners in Pakistan to have wisdom as they make decisions in helping guide the program. Pray for the Muslim community. Pray that they will see the light and truth of Christ through believers and that believers would continue to grow in spiritual maturity. And pray that the Lord would make himself known to them in dreams and visions. Praise the Lord for continued opportunities in the country of Pakistan. Let's pray for this nation. Lord, we pray for the country of Pakistan. We pray that, that local believers would be strengthened, especially those of our brothers and sisters that are being persecuted. We just pray you give them strength, that you give them determination, that you would give them uh, the ability to make the gospel known no matter the circumstances. We pray for relationships between India and Pakistan. We pray for the elections that are going on in India, the results of which we should hear this week. Lord, we pray that those elections would bring about peaceful leadership with India and Pakistan. Lord, we pray for the unrest and the terrorist attacks within the country of Pakistan to slow down and, and Lord, for the gospel to be preached. We're praying for our partners to have wisdom as they make decisions. And Lord, ultimately, would you make your glory known to Muslims living in Pakistan? Would you show yourself to them through dreams and visions? Would you use believers who are persecuted and embolden them to be in the right place at the right time to be used by your hand to make the gospel known by those Muslims who are soft to your gospel. And Lord, would you just uh, continue to help us to explore the opportunities that you have for us in Pakistan. We ask all these things in your great, awesome, and wonderful name, in the name of Jesus. Amen.
Well, you haven't already done so. If you would, please go to your favorite podcasting app and rate the Defender Podcast. Your ratings uh, help us be seen by other folks that may be looking for the Defender Podcast and help our listening base to continue to grow. And our listening base is growing. So thank you to those who have already rated the Defender Podcast. But please make sure you do that today. Uh, Even if you don't put a review, make sure that you are rating it so that we can have as many ratings as possible. Well, thanks for listening to Defender Podcast. For more information or to connect with me, please visit HerbieNewell.com. To partner with Lifeline, visit LifelineChild.org. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at LifelineChild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel through you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again tomorrow for the Defender Podcast.